0: Hello, Heddles Nation! David here, and we're back! Today, we've got another jam-packed episode for you. That uh, We've got a discussion with our writer and editor, James Smith, about his time as a vegan, and how that translates into purchasing uh, clothing in the heritage and vintage world, while trying to sidestep... Uh, products with uh, animals in them. We've got an in-depth discussion about all the, I guess, uh, philosophy and moralization and difficulty that it uh, is for uh, him to live up to his values while also being a fan of uh, vintage and heritage style clothing. Also, in that same vein, talking with Jamie Wong, who is the owner and proprietor of Raggedy Threads one of the premier vintage workwear stores, uh, in the country. She's got two locations, one in LA and one in New York and talking with her about, uh, what it's like running a vintage store these days and, uh, how she got her start in the business and what it means to have a store during COVID. Uh, we've got all that and more for you coming up. And, uh, also, we're, again, not doing advertising just yet, so I'm going to give a quick plug to the Heddle Shop. We have got some more goodies in there from Grant Stone this week. That uh, We've got some wallets and belts and another uh, kudu boot that they have uh, uh, are ready to go. If you can go and visit that at uh, shop.heddles.com. And, again, use the 10% off code BLOWOUT. That's B-L-O-W-O-U-T. I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, so I am here with our editor, James Smith, who is hailing to us out of Peacehaven in the UK. And uh, James has been with us for going on like four years now. Yeah, uh, I think right so. I think,
1: I, think it's, I think it's about four years now, yeah.
0: Uh, no, James heads up our... Uh, features editing, including, uh, new releases and, uh, weekly rundown and all sorts of things. And has also written, uh, countless long form articles, including one that was a little bit more personal this past week, uh, about his journey, uh, with veganism in, uh, heritage menswear, which is a thing, you know, at least for me, when I consider heritage and the, uh, I guess the the materials that make up this niche it's you know, cotton, linen, wool, and leather, which uh, have been a difficult thing to uh, navigate uh, for you, James, in the last uh, few years with your uh, uh, journey with veganism that has uh, been alongside your um, time with Heritage Menswear. So just thanks for coming on with us today, and yeah, looking forward to okay. talking about what. Uh, veganism has to offer for those that might think this is just a uh subculture that is all leather boots and you know
1: thick wool sweaters yeah well i mean it was it was that i mean for me until it, you know it, it, we literally we're speaking maybe about six to eight months ago um was when i really started i mean i would have i'd been considering myself a vegan for like maybe two years now um yeah. But then, you know, I wouldn't go around saying I am a vegan, you know, it was more like, you know, I ate a plant-based diet and, um, you know, that was it, you know, plant-based diet, no no animal products. Um, but on, like, it was so weird, I just hadn't, I just hadn't considered um, my wardrobe at all. Um, to be honest, I had like reduced the amount of leather I was buying uh, and things like that, but like things like wool and silk um and stuff like that i just i was you know still just buying whenever without even really thinking about it and you know i would still look at things like a shell cordovan wallet and be like mm, i want that <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. so um yeah maybe thinking of it
0: from like ten thousand feet up here of uh What does veganism mean to you and uh, like exclusively of like not using or consuming anything that is animal products and sort of uh, how does that manifest itself in your life specifically?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's a very personal thing. I mean, but in general, the definition by definition is it's someone who doesn't consume any animal products, but whether that's meat, dairy, uh, eggs, uh, and then right down to things like honey, um, and you know, and in your clothes, um, and you know, some people because do much take.
0: People think it, of it as like things that you eat, but uh, yeah, there's a lot more things that we rely on animals for than
1: uh, yeah. just
0: what we consume.
1: I think that goes hand in hand with just kind of like the trendiness that goes with veganism. I think you know because the food side of it is arguably the most profitable side of it. Uh, you know, you see vegan, there's vegan burgers in white castle um you know there's vegan restaurants popping up everywhere um vegan like vegan everything um but i think that's a lot of that's to do with social media and i can see why a lot of people would think it's potentially a fad um because of how it can come off in that sense but then i think when you actually commit to it which is what i have done um you do start seeing things a lot differently. So, yeah, I would say that to me, for me, um, how I would like the world to be is, is to be somewhere where we don't use animals unless we absolutely have to. Um, and I think that's where, where veganism comes in, especially now in today's society is that we have so many ways in which we can have alternatives uh, for things that were so, for so long, like mainstay animal products. But yeah, to answer your question, you know, it's, it's for me now, it is not using or consuming any animal products. Um, mm-hmm.
0: and yeah. was that a, uh, lifestyle that took some time in order to like ramp up towards Is it? what isn't something that I imagine you can just sort of flip a switch and say like, okay, I'm only going to be buying um, non-animal product things. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes some journey and a lot of discovery and research in order to be able to live a relatively normal life, um, considering how prominent a lot of this stuff is baked into you know, all consumer goods.
1: Massively. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people, um, I don't want to say get it wrong, because that seems quite negative, but you know, you see on YouTube, I went vegan for 30 days and this is my experience. You know, And I just don't think that is how... Because it's a huge lifestyle change, no matter what anyone says, and that's something that I've, I've only really come to because, t- for me, I was a vegetarian growing up when I was a kid. Um, I was even vegan for a few years when I was around sort of between like five and seven, maybe. I don't, I can't, you know, off the top of my head, but I definitely remember not being able to eat cheese, uh, milk at uh, certain points in my life. But f- to be honest, I don't even, I don't think I even tried beef until I was maybe like 14. Um, so really like a large portion of my life was taken up with, uh, being vegetarian or at least knowing a lot about vegetarian food, um, and vegan food at that, you know, um, eventually my mum did just start eating meat and, and that was just, that became my lifestyle. But yeah, I think I only actually ate meat between the ages of perhaps 12 and maybe 18 so just really throughout my teens for like my um but even then like my best friend is is a vegetarian he's a lifelong vegetarian um my dad barely eats any meat so it's, it's just always been in my life so for me it hasn't been quite the step up that it would be for some other people so for say for someone that's in my mm-hmm. age, in the late twenties, and, and they've eaten meat their whole life. It would and dairy, you know, it would be, it would be a big change for them to just cut that out overnight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it's
0: not all that unusual for you, uh, in, in, in terms of living this lifestyle most of the time.
1: Uh, yeah, which is which. Yeah, that's how I felt until I had to. It was things like the like cloves, and then like when you start realizing, like you said, like our dependence on animals and so many are things we, we use animals for. Um, so like recently my girlfriend bought this, like, she was like, oh, I have bought a vegan razor, <laughs> like it's like, like a leg razor. Oh, like, a shaver. <laughs> like
0: gelatin um, in the little pad. I think yeah,
1: it's like something like that. It's like, Oh, there's, it's like, I think it's like, it's either a, a, an animal fat residue thing or maybe like a bug. I don't know. But anyway, there's animal products in some of those little strips that you get on disposable oh, raises. Like like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know for sure. Um, but yeah, it just, and it's just things like that. You start realizing like just what everything's in and then like mm-hmm. honey will just be snuck into things like, uh, like, uh, cosmetic products and things like that. Like, um, and yeah, you just, you just, you really don't realize just how much it's and like things like horse racing, <laughs> like you know like people be like, like we have like the grand national in england and people are you going to be like you're going to be betting on the grand national it's like a huge horse racing event and then it's like ah, oh, no because i'm not i don't want to put my money into like you know because there's there's a lot of con- controversy about you know around horse racing and that. so that's what i'm saying is it's, it's it, it takes a long while to really suss out everywhere in your life where you're where animal exploitation kind of benefits you um, but yeah, the, the most difficult thing it has, it has been the clothes because, you know, i writing for heddles and more recently, like being, doing the editing role and, you know, seeing, having to curate the, the products that we feature, you know, is this, there is so many amazing animal products out there, you know, things that we can do with leather and how we can make it look and like wool and the benefits that those things have. Um, that was definitely the most difficult part to navigate but the food and in general just taking that step up to, you know, being like, yeah, oh, I'm not going to eat dairy and I'm not going to have any you know, animal products on that side of things. That was, that was easy for me.
0: Uh, so in terms of, um, I guess uh, reasoning behind it is like, I'm mm-hmm. someone that's not a vegetarian, not a mm-hmm. vegan, uh, maybe give it time, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, just sort of wondering what the, the logic is. I'm, I'm yeah, hearing you talk a lot about animal exploitation, so it seems to be mm-hmm. more of the terms of animal cruelty is uh, front of mind for you in making these changes.
1: I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, sorry, I, I, yeah, it's difficult because I mean, for for me, that is that is the drive um, behind mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, when yeah, you actually the, when you when you uh, drill it,
0: it <laughs> it's a bit of judgment, but it's more just no, like yeah, I've heard from of many course. other people that like some do people do it for health reasons, some do it for the environment. Oh, um, yeah. Sometimes they just don't enjoy eating meat or animal products in general.
1: I genuinely think a lot of people say they're doing it for health reasons because I think when you so it's like like when you start talking about the ethics behind it, it can be such a difficult conversation for people because um, you're you're almost saying you don't want to do something that they do because you think it's wrong. So by default, mm-hmm. that conversation is going in a way that could be perceived as, you know, I don't agree with your lifestyle, although it isn't as basic as that. And it's not as, it isn't, you know, I think you're a bad person. This is not that to anyone that I speak to, but mm-hmm. it's difficult to have that conversation because yeah, the, the, what. The, Without the, people the,
0: becoming defensive or feeling like you're being antagonistic towards exactly. uh, the way that they're uh, behaving.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And, and a lot of the time it's, it, it stems from a question that was asked to you you know you say oh why are you vegan and you'll say and then there'll be the questions of but what about this but what about this but for yeah but for me it's it's I I I think so I the things so when I was vegetarian that was for so I was vegetarian for the same reasons but then when you actually look into it a lot further there's elements of the dairy industry that are a lot crueler than the meat industry it's a lot more like sustained uh suffering and exploitation which I won't I won't go too far into unless unless you want me to, but it's it's quite grim. Um, yeah. But but um, but yeah, when you read into and then, and then, and and then you can't start realizing that my, in my view, not eating meat isn't 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 enough because it, it all goes hand in hand. And then it's the same with the clothes things. You know, people think that um, that leather leather on shoes is is just a, a byproduct of the meat industry. Um, mm-hmm. which would be great if we could say that, you know, if we could say that hundred percent of the leather that we buy is, is, is from the meat industry, um, it's, it's simply not true. Um, for example, I, always, I, I find this funny, but it's not funny, but I remember writing an article about the real McCoys maybe two years ago, and it was like, I was doing a brand profile on them and it was like, they, they have a, a horse farm specifically to make like one, one jacket like the A like one of their a2 jackets and i remember reading that and i remember typing that and being like oh, is this a good thing should i push,
0: like, uh, no like, they have a I specific know. farm i remember this it's like somewhere in poland, in poland where they, raise, yeah. like, they raise one yeah. specific type of horses specifically to make this jacket uh yeah. to is, the spec of what yeah. it was done
1: in world war ii it's <laughs> yeah. the most
0: real mccoy's thing
1: I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've gone a little bit off track. But yeah, it's, 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 it's we live in a world where we don't need, in my opinion, we don't need to use animals for most of the things that we're using them for, if not all. Um, and especially when it comes to food. You know, we've got, we've got athletes, professional athletes now on a vegan diet that the sustain their performance or the performance even improves sometimes. Um, you know, there's a whole host of evidence to suggest that it's completely, you know, if you eat the right foods it's completely sustainable and and, and that's a and that's another thing you know it's a lot of the time if you talk about veganism or eating a plant-based diet people start saying oh but what about b12 but you know i most people from capsules for Mm -hmm. sure but most people I, i i don't recall ever having a conversation about my vitamin intake prior to being (laughs) vegan to being vegan is it always kind of like what about vitamin b16 (laughs) or something like that it's like i don't even know it exists or like what about your folic acid or something you know it's like suddenly everyone's like macronutrient obsessed of what i might not be getting um but for me like you say you can take capsules so there's a very quick fix to allow yourself to stop basically paying into an industry that, that kills millions of animals um And for me, like, it's almost like by, by definition, if you, you know, we have, we have laws against animal cruelty and we have, um, you know, you can be criminally charged of animal cruelty here, especially, I don't know how it is um, in the States and in Denver specifically, but, um, you know, we have like vets, you know, we pay people, you know, how much money goes into paying vets across the world each year. But then it's like, we have that side of our philosophy as a as the human race well in, in the west anyway but then we also pay for animals some animals to be killed and it's like it's just for me it doesn't make much sense um mm-hmm. you know so that we can have sort of in
0: congress that these animals are the ones that you know deserve to have their health care looked after and these ones are the ones that you know quote unquote deserve to die
1: yeah. And I mean, and it, you know, and there's, there's vets on farms, like to keep them alive until they're to be, even though the, you know, they're going to be killed. It's, and it's almost like at that point, you know, animals really have become some animals like cows, chickens, uh, you know, lambs, um, have just yeah. become live. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in the word, you know, and you don't even think about that word until you start actually scratching beneath the surface. And it is like, you know, it's no different to like, Sneakers in a stock room. Like, you know I mean? It's yeah. like, oh, these sneakers are soiled. We should try and clean them so we can sell them. It's no different to, like, oh, this yeah. This cow's got a bad leg. We better, like, we better sort it out so we can then kill it in a month. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. So, yeah, yeah for me, phrase it's.
0: That came out of the uh, Trump White House that I remember uh, from a month ago that's just been ringing in my head since. It was some economic advisor talking about, like, the American workforce as human capital stock. Oh and I was just God. like, ooh. <laughs> ooh, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. And and coronavirus. Something
2: like
0: that. Uh, too was it's it's a little bit it's an entirely different way of thinking of it, but you know, that each animal probably is is capable of um, love and affection as you know, your dog or cat that you might have. It's um, sort of arbitrary.
1: Yeah, and I, and that's why it's really important. When you are vegetarian or vegan, to not judge people who eat meat it's it's I think it's essential to moving forward. and if you want other people to I think the main thing is for other people to, it to be just accepted and you know I've already raised the point of um, you know being questioned and you know having to justify the decision to be plant-based. but I think to get to a point where it is just accepted and it isn't constantly questioned or there isn't people that want to criticize it, I think you need to understand that like you say we're conditioned to use animals you know you watch a western film everyone's riding horses you know like a a farmer is like a a very fundamental job in the whole world um and also we're just one you know america and england and mainland europe is just one part of the world um Mm -hmm. you know there's there's not you know, veganism would look completely different in somewhere in less developed countries where they do still rely on animals, um, to eat and to, in some, in some instances, clothes themselves, themselves or use as material. Um, but in, you know, in my view, that isn't the reality that we're living in now. Um, and I can safely say that, you know, I haven't, I haven't really been happier since I've, um, I've been happy, the happiest I've been for a long while since I've been vegan in terms of, uh, being satisfied with my contribution. Um, if you, if you know what I'm saying in terms of like how I'm contributing to maybe the environment or, um, or to just like suffering and cruelty as a whole.
0: Is there one like seminal text for veganism or vegetarianism sort of like, I don't know, like food ink or like supersize me, how that turned off, uh, you know, a generation of people on fast food or, um, you know, uh, gosh, I can't even think of one for, uh, fast fashion that, you know, sort of turned a mm. lot of people towards our section of the market. Mm. Um, but is there something like that where you, uh, a lot of people who are vegan say like, Oh, I like didn't realize how bad it was until I read or saw, you know, X, Y, Z.
1: Yeah. I think, Cowspiracy, although I hate the name of that. It's like <laughs> it sounds like a, a really bad like 80s movie where like the cows kill everyone or something. But um mm. no, cow cowspiracy, um and there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff on like Netflix now and um I would definitely I I, I said this in the article, but I would signpost people to uh, Ed Winter's aka Earthling Ed. Um I just think the way he approaches veganism um it's just so i think the way he approaches it as a philosophy is just perfect and the way that he he doesn't preach he converses with people and he kind of does that whole change my mind stuff and he has a youtube channel with a lot of content on there and it's i think it's really that would be that would be who i would signpost people to basically before something like cowspiracy because um Things like that can be, they can be really shocking to watch. And it's almost like, I feel like sometimes you can almost get the reverse response. You almost get like, if you watch, signpost someone to that and they watch it, it's almost like the documentary maybe made them feel so awful that they almost feel offended by it. If you know what I mean? It's almost a kind of like.
0: Uh, like conspiracy, one of those that like takes you inside slaughterhouses and
1: shows oh yeah, you all so.
0: the like, literal disgusting part of how the sausage is made.
1: I I can't remember to be honest. I haven't watched it for so like in so long. Um, but yeah, it it it, it basically yes. It, it it's 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 a lot of hard truths. Um, but then that's a difficult part. You know, you, you mentioned like fast fashion. You know, not even I'd say that's only in the last sort of eight to ten years, maybe even more recently that like that's been being called out more and more and more. And to me, it's the same. I think it's the same concept as almost the same concept as veganism, although it's more applying to humans and the environment. It's the same thing as, you know, this is something we've been doing for so long. It's a pillar of our society, you know, like high street shops, quick turnaround, fashion's changing every single season, you know, it's supply and demand. And we've been doing it for so long, but I feel like it's only recently that it's been sort of really people have really been cranking down on it. Like, you know, this is really bad. Um, mm-hmm. And I, for me, it's the same. It's almost the same kind of ideology. It's like Vivian is just like, okay, this is something we've been doing for a long, long time. And yes, a lot of people's livelihoods rely, rely on it, but there's there's work to be done to change it. You know, t- because over the time, morality changes. You know, if you look how we were living hundred years ago compared to now, the, the contrast is pretty stark. Um. So, yeah, (laughs) I kind of gone off. I think I feel like I've kind of gone off subject, but yeah.
0: Do you think things like um, like new meat alternatives that are being developed that you know are relatively like indistinguishable from meat in some regards, um, are those things that like sort of pass muster for you as a vegan? That uh, I imagine the ones that are created from plant proteins, like there, there's probably no uh, moral gray area there. But I've heard from a couple of friends that are in those like ones that are cloned meat that there's still some um, ethical heebie-jeebies
1: there. Yeah, I, it's a weird one. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I, I, I won't be ever be eating that cloned meat stuff. I'll be, I'll be really happy if that becomes a thing that we can – because is it grown from stem cells? I think it's grown from stem cells or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. If, it, if we can get to a point where that is the norm – that we literally grow. I mean, for me, I would never eat it because I feel like it would just turn into some, like, I am legend 21 days later. Situ- situation. That, that's real conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the conspiracy. I just feel like that's what, yeah. I, I just freak out about stuff like that. I just, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> it would be great if that, if that would be, you know, if that could become mainstream that they, but then again, yeah, it's kind of strange that we start growing meat in a Petri dish. As opposed to just eating the alternatives and I've I've eaten some pretty scarily realistic plant-based meat alternatives
0: Mm. Yeah, that's what I've heard of like they're obviously they're going to um, be uh, Pretty grand in their estimates, but some of the people that are behind these companies are like oh we hope to make like conventional meat like a thing of the past in 15 years which I mean, I don't see how anyone, even someone that is a the biggest carnivore, can see why that's a bad thing. Um, if it's more environmentally friendly and it's more efficient, and uh, if it reduces animal cruelty, like who can really be opposed to it? But
1: yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, because if you if you think about it, I mean, there may still be some ethical issues there. I don't know what they are because I haven't, to be honest. I just haven't paid much attention to the clone meat stuff. I've seen it on. Uh, some programs, like some people trying the kind of chicken nuggets that are like grown from a Petri dish uh, from the stem cells. But like looking at it now with what I know now, you know, surely there's got to be a lot less cruelty involved. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like if there's going to be, there's not going to be as much inhumanity there if they're just, yeah. if But yeah, I mean, I don't know how that's going to fold out. It might just be, you know, we could look back in 15 years and it could just be some wacky idea that they tried for for three or four years or so. And it fizzled out because it wasn't, it couldn't be applied on a, on a mass scale. Um, Mm -hmm. But then it it could be.
0: Like Oak Judd, did you ever see that, uh, the Bong Joon-ho movie?
1: I didn't see it. My friend, my my friend keeps telling me to watch it as well. It's about that like big that little girl. She's got like a big beast friend, right? Is that what it is?
0: Yeah. The, the premise of it is like in the near future that uh, like animal science and cloning has created these super pigs that are you know like the size of hippopotamuses and like produce the most tender and delicious meat. And uh, these like cows are um, bred so that they want to die, basically. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's really, really well done. You know, in mm-hmm. a way that only Bong Joon the same director that did Parasite or The Host mm-hmm. or Snowpiercer, if you've seen any of those, and his take on it, it was one that that turned me off of meat for some time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it, it it's quite disturbing, but very, very well done. But, but that's um, the that's the
1: thing. I mean, if people watch things like that. Like you say, they'll be. There is almost like something in everyone that's like, ah, like, because, you know, most people that eat meat wouldn't want to kill an animal with their bare hands. And it's because Mm -hmm. it's not something that we want to be reality. You know, we don't want to have to, you know, we like to live in, like, it's the same with the fast fashion thing. We like to live in a world where we think, we like to think we live in a world where, you know, the things we do don't have an impact past that point Mm -hmm. of purchase or point, you know, after eating it. But then, when the reality is, everything has a story in it, it. There's, it can be good or bad, and I just feel like for a lot of, you know, no, I don't think there's any animal out there that wants to die. And if you, so yeah, I just that's what I'm saying. So if you're watching things like, like Okjar, and and you get those feelings of guilt, or you get those that, that that kind of that second thought the next time you see a meat product, um, I think that kind of shows that everyone to some degree doesn't like the idea of slaughtering animals
0: um yeah and that's the the idea that we're we try to get to at heddles just sort of as a as a whole of like where did this stuff come from and that none of these products really exist in a vacuum and trying Mm -hmm. to explain of like oh if you're going to get this pair of jeans where did the cotton come from and what looms Mm -hmm. were it uh, woven on and how was it spun and what was the indigo that was dyed and what sewing machines were used on it. And if, uh, you apply that logic to everything you consume, you're going to follow that to some logical conclusions that you won't necessarily like and hopefully change your behavior. Mm. Mm. And yeah, uh, a lot of the processes of which we consume the things that we eat are, um, just as horrific, you know, probably more so than what's happening in fast fashion. Mm. So, Um, yeah, just encourage people to do that. Uh, as we, I guess, switch over more to the clothing aspect of it, Mm -hmm. the one that, um, (laughs) I guess we focus a bit more explicitly on, Mm. um, yeah, I would just would love to hear sort of your journey of going in on, um, I guess you've said you've been doing it for less than a year now, Of trying to really strictly consume clothes as a vegan. And yeah. what sort of investigation that happens, and what other things like you're lusting after, and go like, "Ooh, I, I wish I could have that thing," but now it's 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 for the best, not.
1: Mm. So yeah, I mean, it was like I stopped buying new things with um, that were animal products, yeah, around six to eight months ago, and then I would say even secondhand stuff. It's more so been in the last three to four months that I've stopped buying uh, animal products, even secondhand, which I, which I touched on in the article. Um,
0: yeah, Yeah, that was the thing that I've always thought about a bit is like when me, I, I I try to buy new things as infrequently as possible and just sort of, uh, you know, justify it to myself. If you're buying something used, you aren't really supporting the horrible capitalist system that created it. Um, Mm. you can just, uh, is your, um, interacting with it outside of the price signal. And you can just buy this thing and like go on your way. But, you know, the, that was the thing that I thought was really interesting in your piece that uh, used clothing you feel like still has an impact on um, animal cruelty.
1: Yeah, because I, I mean, it's a, it's a really difficult one. And I think it's definitely a lot more personal. And I would say there's probably I reckon there's hundreds of thousands of people out there who say they're vegan but still buy animal products and things like sneakers or wallets and stuff like that um because like we i said earlier there's there's the the byproduct argument and i don't know but for me um i think with the second hand stuff it kind of it depends on what the garment is so i said in the article say it's like a leather jacket it's like say if like i saw a shot perfecto in a in a thrift shop um <laughs> it was my lucky day and there's a shop perfecto in the in the thrift shop but um for me, if I was to buy that still my, it was, it's like I, my personal feeling that I'm still playing into the ideology that we should wear a huge animal hide on us, if you know what I mean? And the Mm -hmm. same with leather boots. Um, that's just how personally how I feel. But then, you know, I couldn't say that if like I saw, let's say for example, like a vintage, like a Woolrich jacket that was like, You know 40 years old 50 years old or something um and it had some wool lining in it i can't then say you know maybe would i turn it down i mean is that like is the whole the whole point of that garment isn't that it's made from an animal do you know do you know i'm saying? does that kind of make sense Mm -hmm. Almost like those archetypal animal products that are like advertising that you're doing of
0: showing like a leather jacket is to promote leather whereas a wool jacket isn't necessarily to promote wool
1: well yeah well like I meant like a a Walrus jacket is in like you know like the 6040 like nylon like mountain jackets with like the wool oh, lining that maybe, maybe
0: has like the all of... flannel on the inside
1: or something yeah or like maybe like two leather toggles on the on the the hood adjusters or something it's like I can't mm-hmm. say for sure because I, I I wouldn't know until I was there but for me it's like that isn't the same as buying a pair of like second hand service boots or a pair or like a leather jacket or you know I don't know. It's still something I'm navigating now, which is why I'm glad you asked because it's, you know, some of my friends who are vegan just think that's ridiculous. They're like, there's, you know, there's no, there's no cruelty involved in that. Um, you know, that's, that product had, it's, it's had a life already. Um, and it isn't going to be this destroyed and thrown away. So there's no reason, but yeah, just for me personally, that's just my gut feeling is that if I was to wear a secondhand liver jacket, I would still just be playing into that ideology that we should slaughter cows four jackets or goats or you know or whatever leather it is um and the same with boots as well but then if it was if it was just like little furnishings like or trims on a garment like a a bit of wool lining at the neck or something or and it was you know it was considerably secondhand then yeah I can't say whether I would or wouldn't but then you know but for me I'm the kind of person that likes to live by a rule so it's like you know because if Because with the second-hand thing, I was having this conversation with my friend the other day. You know, is there then any difference between buying a vintage leather jacket and then a leather jacket that someone's bought, worn for a month, decided that fit isn't for them, and then they're selling it on? Um, However, you know, even though that jacket was only made maybe six months ago. So for me, it's just like a general rule. It's just like, you know, just don't... And and still, I'd still avoid them, you know, in, in second-hand. I'd still be like, yeah, maybe... Like for example, like so you asked what I was like lusting after. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it's like Birkenstock Ber- Bostons. Um a multitude, Don't they make
0: those in um and pull up like uh, vinyl?
1: Uh, yeah, they're gross. And <laughs> <they're> yeah. <laughs> they're, they'd
0: they're be just, very sticky and
1: uncomfortable. Yeah, you just need that that suede is just a pair of suede Bostons is like just one of my favorite shoes. Um, I've got a pair of, of suede Arizonas that I, I still have that I picked up for like five pounds, brand new, like four years, five six years ago, maybe a long time ago. Um, Burberry had this brought a vegan range out, but um, yeah, there's no. They, they, they haven't even done the. You know, they do like the felt Boston's as well, but like their wool felt.
2: Oh yeah. Usually,
1: they haven't even done like a, a, a like a vegan felty one. If they get if they do those, I'll probably buy those. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean. That's
0: been a bit of a um, conundrum for me as well of like when I buy things, I try to think of like the environmental impact quite a bit, Um, especially in something of like knowing that a leather jacket is probably way more environmentally taxing than a, um, you know, cotton or wool jacket even as Mm -hmm. you know, you have to go to the effort of raising whatever grain it was to feed whatever animal it was to then do the like skinning and tanning process to then stitch the thing up, but uh, then once that leather jacket exists, it is presumably going to be much more long-lasting and mm. get like hopefully more use out of that um, uh, all of the effort and all of the uh, resources that were put into it than into something um, of equivalent that might not be nearly as hardy. So it is sort of like a, I mean, it's a it's a calculus there that no one can really make uh, knowingly, but uh, it's a thing that I always try to do in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially and think of the environmental tax of, say something like um, a uh, vegan alternative that might be a vinyl or a uh, leather substitute, but mm-hmm. then that itself might be something made from petrochemicals, um, mm-hmm. which might be even more environmentally caustic. But you know, it, when making these decisions, like I personally am not, um, considering animal cruelty in that, uh, and mm-hmm. that calculus, which is something that, you know, uh, from what I'm hearing from you it sort of changes the equation, uh, completely for your, for your efforts.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I feel like the invite when, if you're doing the whole, uh, vegan lifestyle, you've already, well, what the evidence would suggest is that you've already reduced environmental impact of your, your food consumption has, mm-hmm. um, so then, if if level alternatives or other things that you might be buying that might have chemicals in, um, I would like to think that that's kind of balancing each other out. Even though I haven't, you know, looked into those properly, because because like you say earlier, it's, it's buying less anyway. It's kind of what I'm trying, you know, I've been trying to do for the last almost five years, really, just buy less things and use them for a lot longer. Um, so. But yeah, it, it, in general, you know, it could be argued that the environmental, like you say, a leather jacket or a leather article might have more environmental impact to produce. You'd arguably need a lot less of them over time. Um, but yeah. I wouldn't say... Oh, but I wouldn't a lot even...
0: of the people in this industry, yeah, they, uh, they pick them up and they collect them in a way that you know, doesn't necessarily use all the utility exactly. of thing that they bought.
1: Exactly. And I think I I was going to just about to say, I don't think we're at a point yet where people, you know, not every, you know, everyone's like you say, going by that philosophy of buy less things and use them, you know, cost per wear kind of thing. Um, there's still people collecting lots of things. and I don't think that's going to go anywhere. So, um, yeah, for me, yeah. The, 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 the fact that if I can buy something, knowing there's no animal cruelty involved, um, but, the, but I mean, that's never the reality, though. You know, even if it's cotton, you know, the amount of small rodents or whatever that must get killed in like cotton farming and and just like mm-hmm. agriculture and stuff in general. There's nothing's perfect, but um, I would say, yeah, you know, yeah. that's we, we we have to wear something. You know, it's it's less, de- it's, the, it's less deliberate. You know, it's like and you know, it's it's a yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot economic
0: system uh isn't producing anything that's completely ethically clean no but some things no. are cleaner than others
1: exactly and uh, yeah it's, it's a far cry from others. it's a far cry from the the polish a2 jacket horse horse farm <laughs> <The Real laughs> McCoy's got. it's a far cry from that um uh, i hope we
0: get to visit that horse farm someday
1: i know we should cover it we should be like a visit to the the real mccoy's polish horse farm um, but yeah, Birkenstock Boston's are something and like, just like sneakers in general, really difficult, really difficult. Cause I mean, I am lucky in that I only really wear like converse, um, or yeah, converse <laughs> literally every day. <laughs> um, so I'm really lucky in it, but even that, like they've the seventies converse that I wear, they've, they've started putting a leather Chuck Taylor patch on them instead of the like screen printed or like the. Uh, of, kind the of like iron on iron on the iron on yeah they've they've started putting like this horrible white and black leather uh like circles stitched onto them like a disc rather than the, the iron on and the iron on's white always i love how the iron on chips away i love how it's got the red white and blue and it's like yeah so even even that's like gonna get even more difficult for me now um but yes but yeah and, and jeans jeans is 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 a big thing because I found myself buying a lot of TCBs because they do paper patches mm-hmm. on their fifties and sixties jeans. Uh, right.
0: Cause they're, um, historically accurate. They were paper.
1: patches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but then the problem is, you know, most, most jeans of paper patches are the, the sixties Levi's fit, which is slimmer than I'd like. Um, mm. especially in like the seat and, the, uh, and in the thighs and even right down through the taper. I'd say they're a bit too slim for me. Um, I prefer like a 40s or 50s cut, um, but even then, you know, I'm, I'm trying to buy less jeans. You know, just just wear. I'm, I've, I just bought a pair of TCB 50s. I'm just going to wear those until they're until they're completely faded out. Because I was wearing some some Ferros before that, which had a leather patch, um, and I'm, I'm upset that I I won't be buying those again because they're. I can't remember. I think they're the four five one, but they're like. Yeah, probably the best jeans I've had.
0: Are there any um, denim manufacturers or just any clothing brands like in our community that are catering to um, vegan buyers? Or is it a thing that you just sort of have to, you know, uh, through trial and error, figure out who offers what and that um, satisfies your needs? Uh,
1: Yeah, not that I know of, not exclusively anyway. Um, I feel like, uh, and I've emailed a few stores you know, before like asking for like what jeans they have that have paper patches, rather than having to trawl through you know, like maybe three hundred different pairs of jeans or something, and and they haven't been able to just give me a definitive. They've been like, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get back to you on that, and then I haven't actually heard back. Um, and I can't. I don't know any retailers that have like a vegan section. Um, in in our corner of the fashion world, anyway. Um, mm-hmm. and yes, yeah,
0: so they, Denim, they were doing like cloth patches.
1: Um, yes. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, and it's great that they do that. And I have a pair of jeans from them with, with the, uh, it's like a, I think it's like a drill patch or a twill. It's twill or drill. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, and you can, you can just put that in the notes on your order and they'll change it. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is great. And
0: tell us they're using paper patches, but I, I think a lot of that's cost saving, not necessarily.
1: Um, yeah. So, so uh, I feel like you're kind of bound to the reproductions. Yeah. Like we say, like the, that you're bound to like the faithful reproductions um there's just... the
0: one specific year that like has the fit that you like and then also has the paper patch of like you know the year that is the specific level of um width <laughs> in the leg opening cuz i know you like them wide
1: yeah i mean, um, to be honest i think it's a, i pack. think for my so i i liked 47501s 1947501s not the lvc one they have the lever um, however yeah, I like found 53,
0: 54, ever they changed over.
1: Yeah. So I think the TCB fifties are based on those, like the early fifties models. Um, mm-hmm. and they, 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 they slightly slim, slimmer than I'd like. But, um, I think that when I wear them, they'll, they'll be the perfect fit. Um, but no, to answer your question, I don't know, like a specific year and I'd love if anyone could let me know, that'd be great. Cause then I could start looking. Um, But yeah, it's mainly the the yeah mid fifties to sixties stuff which has been has the paper patch. And even then, sometimes brands have like taken it upon themselves to, if it's not like a really faithful meticulous reproduction, they've put like leather, like rivet backings and um, other little details, maybe the the, you know bits of leather. Um, Because yeah, I'd I'd love a pair of like maybe like a pair of Momotaros or something with with paper patch, but I cannot find them. So. Yeah, to answer your question, no, I don't know, and I'd love to know. But yeah, for me at the moment, it's it's going to be TCBs for a long time, and I pray they don't change the patches on those. Um,
0: yeah, are there but, any other brands that you've discovered that uh, you wouldn't have otherwise found had you not been searching out specifically for vegan uh, garments? Uh,
1: Warehouse have a few more than I I realized in terms of like just fully vegan paper patch, um, and they're actually some of the like the like secondhand series stuff, which I really like like the, the, the pre-washed or like pre-distressed stuff, which actually looks really cool. And it's, um, um, actually, I'm actually really attracted to those. So I, I probably will, I probably will get explore Cause then they also do like a, you know, they have that duck digger line with the different arcuates on the back. It's mm-hmm. like a sort of loop. They do a super wide pair of a paper patch. So I just, but I don't think they make them. So I'm going to have to try and that's probably going to be my first record global, experiment actually it's is those warehouse jeans i think it's like duck digger 1101 i think i don't know or slow as well um again a bit slim for me but i didn't realize that pretty much all their jeans have paper patches which is cool um burgess plus as well so like yeah it has it's made me realize that and, and stevenson overall as well they they do um
0: all right they uh, do that like white cloth um yeah with,
1: um, with the biplane on. on it yeah so um i think the they like saddle horn the type two will probably be my next like denim jacket because denim jackets is in in general are a lot easier to because a lot of them just don't have a neck label in them like a neck like a lot of them don't have like a leather neck patch or they're more likely to have a paper one um but possibly because of comfort i don't know i don't know um, but I haven't found that difficult to navigate at all. Uh, but yeah. Um, and, and also Yuckerton do going back to the Bostons again.
0: All <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. you they, could, they, Yuki's making those, um, like leather substitute, uh, Birkenstocks, quote unquote Birkenstock.
1: Yeah. They're actually, they, well, they're called, um, Bostonians. Um, yeah. so there's
0: quite the wink in that name.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, they've got like, it's like Vaqueta leather, which looks quite nice. And then from, from the pictures that are on their site, it actually looks pretty similar to like, especially the tan leather. I mean the, the darker Brown ones have this kind of sheen to them. that has that kind of like uh, PVC vinyl kind of vibe, but then there's like a sort of tan oaky leather pair, which look really nice. Um, so again, that might be something. And, and, and I pray they start making like main guides in, in that lever. Um, mm-hmm. I have reached out to them already and they said no for anyone else wondering. Um, but they might do it. Hey, if you're
0: listening, Yuki.
1: <laughs> yeah. you heard I, it would, here. I would pay way over the odds for a pair of, uh, like custom Vaqueta. Yukazins. Like seriously, <laughs> I'd like pay a lot of money for that. Um, but yeah. So yeah, in answer to your question, it has opened a lot of, brands that I knew existed but I didn't maybe weren't as on my radar as they are now um Mm -hmm. which is kind of the good thing about it as well and and also like I I mentioned in the article I've been this so I I was that person who liked to buy different wallets or you know I, I used to like lust after like samurai and like oni belts and stuff like really nice Japanese brand belts um um, but I've just been kind of substituting that for other like really good quality stuff. So I've got really into jewelry lately. Um, Cause like I used to really look at leather stuff online and be like, Oh, I really want this. And uh, it's like Tanner goods. And, you know, I, was, I really wanted to get like a kind of shinky wallet or something like that. Um But to substitute that, I've just been getting into jewelry, which has been really cool. So it's like open that door as well. Like I've been getting into like precious metals and, been buying a bit I've been buying into my first arrows good art uh I've been looking at um what's that brand that Selfridge sell it's like Jeff something can't remember his name um but yeah I mean that's another um Neff Goldsmith that's it Neff Goldsmith oh yeah but they said uh Selfridge so it's just just like finding appreciation for things that maybe I wouldn't have appreciated so much before um which is cool. So it's like, it's open, it's not open the door. It's kind of like redirected my attention to some brands, but then also opened doors to other things um, like jewelry. And, um, and also like knitwear as well. Like I wasn't the biggest knitwear head, like, you know, even when I, uh, when I wasn't vegan, but now like seeing some of the stuff that like Alavol do and even some of the like Howlin stuff that he's done in uh, like previous seasons, like there's some really nice, like cotton knit stuff and like cotton and um polyester blend and stuff um so yeah it's yeah in answer to your question it's, it's definitely opened some doors and actually just diverted my attention to new things so you know probably without me even realizing it actually changed my style in terms of like what i'm going to be buying going forward if you know what i mean mm-hmm
0: Cool. Yeah, and there's a couple other alternatives that I remember we had an article I think it was like over a year ago now mm. about different uh, vegan leather alternatives and a lot of exciting new developments that were happening in that mm. regard you know uh, beyond just the Vequeta that uh, Yucatan's coming up with that there was mm-hmm. a mushroom mm. leather and there was an apple leather and there was a couple other like more promising um uh polyvinyl leathers
1: Yeah I mean the 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 mushroom leather which i, th- I think it's called Mu skin mew skin
0: i've been trying to get a sample of that for like a year yes yeah. Uh, yeah i want to make something out of it here at winter session but i want to uh,
1: make a card holder out of it i want to like i really want to get some like like i've been doing the same i've been trying to find like trying to get like a couple yards of it and just mess around with it and try and make super some
0: protective stuff of it
1: yeah i i Again, to be honest Mewskin.
0: Send us some, uh, send us some mushroom leather.
1: Oh my, yeah, that would be a cool article actually. If we could, we could make some skin stuff. And uh, yeah,
0: that's how I pitched it. I was like, send me a like a few like square feet of it. We'll make some like wallets, maybe make a bag or something, and we'll mm-hmm. write it all up and yeah, just crickets.
1: I th- I think that's the I think that's the future for me. I think there's me and my friend talk about this all the time. We just we're hoping that there's someone out there who is going to invest in that heavily to get that off the ground because it makes total sense. I mean, if you actually, if you look at the the article we did on the vegan leather, just the picture of the the, the, the mushroom leather. It looks good. It looks so good. It looks, it almost looks like kudu, like a little bit, like yeah, the, the, I mean, the sample that I saw on there anyway. And then I feel like because it's, because it's natural, I feel like it might be more, uh, you might be able to maybe put oils on it or treat it a bit better. Whereas like, PVC, I feel like, it's just gonna fade out because it's 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 plastic. Is it not? Is it? Or is it, is it poly? It's vinyl. It's vinyl.
0: Yeah, um, so it'll probably dry out and crack, and uh, yeah, and it chips. I, I can't and I just kind of, uh, not use anything that's oil based uh, if we can. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that one's really exciting. I mean, who knows if it's some sort of like, Theranos vaporware type mushroom leather that it's not actually all it's cracked up to be, but.
1: Maybe. Send us some.
0: I, I want to oh, try man.
1: it. Yeah, I want to try that too. I mean, I've, I've, I'd I, like to think that if they can get that off the ground, that will be, you know, because in a way that, you know, maybe at one point before, like the 60s and 70s, when all the kind of vegan, like all the soy stuff started coming out and the wheat gluten stuff, you know, if you told people in their 20s that we'd be making burgers out of wheat gluten. Yeah, like <laughs> Yeah, you know they probably just be like okay. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> like but Burger King. Yeah. Uh, or at least but, you can here. in the- Exactly and it's so I feel like hopefully in a not too distant future that's something that become a, becomes a bit more accessible and it might be something where we see brands collaborating with the manufacturer of Muskin or maybe even it gets to a point where brands can produce their own mushroom leather. Cause for me, that's the only one I've seen that I've gone, yeah, I'd happily wear a jacket that was like made out of that. And look, if, it, if it's going to look like that in terms of the, like the tones and the hand, um, but we'll see. And there's apple. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned apple leather as well. And again, it looks like there's apple and pineapple leather, but to me, they just mm. look like those dried fruit bars that you have when you're a kid.
0: Yeah, they kind of look tasty.
1: Yeah. It looks like I want to just like leave it in the sun for a bit and then like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I can't see that. Like, and another thing is like recycled rubber that looks kind of cool. You can get like, there's like recycled tires that they like repurpose. um, And that can kind of get that, that feel of like black leather. If you like that kind of slick, dark black leather, or maybe like midnight Navy kind of colors. But for me, I've always been about like my natural leather and tan at the darkest. So for me, I've, I'm fingers crossed for the muskin stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe someday we will get to go to uh, real McCoy's mushroom farm. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, maybe
0: somewhere in like the wet glens of Poland where they grow all their, their famous, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Mushrooms. Like the, the marshes jackets. of Poland. Yeah. Someday <clears throat> in the future.
1: Maybe in um, the very distant future, there'll be reproductions of mushroom leather
0: jackets <laughs> maybe <laughs> like in uh, a few years <laughs> but um cool well thank you for coming on and explaining all this stuff to us uh james uh, you know and helping me just even understand what uh it is like to a uh, better extent of what living as a vegan is like um in our community um mm. uh, we can uh, we're going to post a link to your article on uh, the description of the episode here. Mm-hmm. But is there anything else that you would like to direct people towards or anything else you want to plug?
1: Uh, not so much. I mean, I, I would like to say that I, I it would have been really cool if I could have spoken more about struggles with food and stuff like that. Cause I feel like that's the main thing that's like, you know, something you've told a lot of people oh you can't buy everybody lever again, they'd be, they might be, wouldn't be the best thing, but they might not care as much as if you can't eat meat again. So um, but if it like, you know, I just personally, I'd say if anyone wants to send in questions about clothes, uh, about vegan clothes, um, I'd be happy to answer, um, or give examples of like, you know, the things you can get, like that kind of go beyond the article that I wrote. I'd be totally happy to answer that. Um, cool. but yeah, no, oh, yeah. I'm, I've really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. If you have questions like that, you can send those into a uh, blowout at heddles.com. -hmm. And yeah, we'll make sure those get to James and uh, put you in touch.
1: Yeah, Um, for sure.
0: Cool. Well, thanks for staying up a little bit late with us here with the time change, uh, James. And yeah, look forward to having you on again real soon.
1: Cool, man. It was good to speak to you, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks. okay so
0: i am here with jamie wong who is the owner proprietor of the vintage store raggedy threads which is coming at you on both coasts got a location in la and one in brooklyn which uh, jamie you are currently talking to us from the brooklyn
2: store yes
0: (laughs) so yeah what is the uh, state of raggedy threads at the moment if uh, you're in the back of the store and the store is open for business
2: yeah, actually, today is technically the first real opening day. Um, as far as we know, it's we're on phase two in New York City. So it's great. Like all of us can kind of reopen again, but not to its full capacity. It's very limited. So I think right now what I'm doing is Wednesday to Saturday, five hours a day um keep it super minimal, super sanitized all the time and, and see how it develops after that. Um once we hit the next phases or see how the city goes, then I'll start maybe putting in regular hours. But for the time being it's it's nice to just keep it just low key and open again. It's just great. It's a great feeling <laughs> for sure. i <Yeah>, be
0: <laughs> locked away and uh but still, you know, do things that uh with health standards in mind of like, you know, bouncing at the door, but
2: absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. We have masks in place and every customer that's been coming in has been super compliant to our roles, like masks on, sanitize your hands before you touching all our merchandise, sanitizing the dressing rooms when after every use. And people have been really good about just coming in, getting what they want, not really making any small talk leaving. So it's, Mm -hmm. I feel like at this point everybody pretty much knows the rules of the in and out of what we need to do to protect ourselves from COVID. So
0: yeah.
2: yeah. Are there difficult
0: <laughs> things of like people wanting to do try-ons and stuff like that? And um
2: Uh no, or- I'm 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 letting people try stuff on. It's it's totally fine. Um as long as I, I figure at this point, like as long as your hands are clean and your mask is on, then go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just clean after them and we kind of just said, I'm not washing every garment after every try on. Cause
0: no, I don't think that'd be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially with some of the garments that you've got, I imagine haven't been washed in a very long time.
2: Well, I wash everything.
0: E- oh you everything. do wash everything oh
2: oh absolutely you have no idea the places where I get some of this stuff it's pretty disgusting so <laughs> well,
0: I hope we'll get into it in a little bit But yeah, <laughs> like it was my understanding that some of the things that like I've seen at some vintage stores are very much not washed and like oh
2: absolutely not washed not clean not touched I mean people like to keep the preservation of like the history of the garment of where it came from and and whatnot. So of course they want to keep the original smells that come along with it too, I suppose. Um, I just think it's not not sanitary to leave it like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There have been a few pieces that like I've picked up at stores or like at the Rose Bowl, and then I like took it home and put it in the bathtub. And yeah, it took like three uh like separate rinses in order to, for the water to be clear <laughs> or yeah. like so able to hey. even see the garment in the water.
2: Yeah, exactly. So half the time, the the stuff I get is literally you soak in water and it's black, and there is yep. no way I am putting that on my shelves for people to try on.
0: <laughs> you probably don't even want to like sit in a store with uh, that, like breathing that in. <laughs>
2: mm, no, because you know, which... like a lot of this stuff is what seventy five, a hundred years old. You can't even imagine how much dirt rhyme seasons diseases are on these things like talk about like COVID now i mean like half this stuff has probably been through the plague for all i know
0: <laughs> yeah. you probably have the vaccine living in some of those I, kind of, but, older absolutely. pieces
2: that's i mean that's something we we vintage people we joke about a lot it was like well vintage like we're not really concerned about the sanitation because like we have been through probably literally stuff that's been through the plague or influenza, like all that stuff has probably already been on our garments and we're completely immune to it at this point. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And especially like time you've spent in estate sales and like at the bins and And
2: just, just gross. Like who knows, like what's been there. So I feel like us vintage people are very immune to any disease at this point.
0: (laughs) Oh. Oh, I guess before we get too deep into it, uh, like I've been to the store, um, both the LA and the Brooklyn one. I mean, though I spent a lot more time at the Brooklyn ones, that's where I lived uh, for some time.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But um, yeah, it's really high-end, well-curated stuff that uh, I always enjoyed having a look through. Thank but I just wondered if you could give sort of your um, explanation, interpretation of what Raggedy Threads is and what you try to bring together for uh, your selection.
2: Um. Yeah. 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 Um. Well, I try to. You know, I have stores in both coasts. Like the LA store is actually my first born. I've had that for about eighteen. I just had my eighteen year anniversary this month. So it's wow, like congratulations. It's, it's I know it's crazy. Eighteen years. Emancipated um, so, store. I know it is. <laughs> it's uh, it's a grown up now. Um, and Brooklyn here, it's, I'm coming up on my fifth year, so it's still a baby, still kind of relatively new, but I, I tried to keep the same vision as what I had in the LA store and bring it to New York as well. Um, just kind of, um, I really love workwear and menswear and like, um, just earlier pieces pre 1950s. That's kind of what, um, I try to look for and find, but also not just like costumey or anything from that era just like stuff is wearable stuff you can mix with new and and things that are just like comfortable and casual like that's always been my thing is like great piece great cut great fit but also comfortable to wear day to day and that's that's kind of where I'm going very casual I think right there's more Mm -hmm. casual stuff that's like beat up worn, has a story has history behind it and and um just just looks awesome. Like that's mm. kind of always been my vision for the store, um, and just good basics. Like literally good basics is um, how like I, things
0: that you can mix in with like a regular uh, wardrobe that wouldn't look out of place with stuff. No, nope. uh, that you would buy modern day.
2: Mm-hmm, exactly, and you know, I, and I do. Hence the name of my store. I do like things that are worn and beat up has holes has character has good washes good fades. like that's 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 the i don't know that that is like everything for me for this business Mm -hmm.
0: like what's happened to the garment like since it was made not just how it was made in the first place
2: exactly like what what has it been through you know, <laughs> how many decades has it been through? How many people have hands have been exchanged? You know, like that for me is everything, and I love that.
0: Uh, so, like for the last eighteen years, or I imagine a lot longer than that too. Like, has that sort of been the drive for you of looking for that specific kind of garment, or was it something that uh, you? Oh no, worked it into? grew.
2: Yeah, it grew over time, you know, you know, we mature. So our our point of views mature and like things that we look at differently also mature. And so like when I first started, very first, my first Rose Bowl, okay, because like I started this whole business, I, I sold in Rose Bowl back in like ninety. 798. I don't even remember anymore. This was like early Rose Bowl, pre-internet. When it was
0: still really good.
2: When it was really, really good. Absolutely. Um, and it wasn't very much of us. It was just like, um, so I I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just kind of sold what I loved. And at the time I was really into like orange tab Levi's, really into the sixties and seventies band tees like t-shirts like i was so into it and i i didn't really know the value i didn't know anything about it i just really loved it so like i would just find band tees from all different eras of bands that i love like led zeppelin and like the who and rolling stones and then and pair it with like that whole rocker vibe you know with like the 646 levi's orange tabs the you know, I think
0: um, super skinny, super yeah. skinny, Love but like skin.
2: flared, but like, yeah, that was kind of like my first. And I actually did veer off and do some 80s at that time, and this was back in like 2002. Um, I was really into like some of the 80s stuff, like not not so much like 80s as you would think 80s now, like what's popular and trending now, but 80s as in like it's silly as like a members only jacket to like a Lacoste polo and la tigra like those striped la tigra polos man i was so into those yeah. <laughs> back then and so i would sell that kind of stuff and for for women's there's always been like cotton casuals, like cute crop tops and like co- everything cotton because you know i'm from la so like it's hot you know 365 days of the year <laughs> so <laughs> um so i just I, again with the same sort of vision um casual stuff you can mix with stuff you can wear every day that has never changed. That has always been my like, you know, foundation. And um, it wasn't until like 2006 is where I was like, Oh my God, there's a whole new world of like denim workwear. Uh, what is this stuff? This is this stuff is amazing. And so it wasn't until like much later on, like five or six years later, actually, Actually, I didn't really start getting into it until I saw it at, like, Inspiration first year. Oh, wow. Yeah. First, I I did the first Inspiration, like, the first year. Um, And that's where I kind of got introduced to the world of, like, you know, stuff that's rare, and workwear, and all that stuff. Um, I didn't really know that stuff before um Mm -hmm. until then and because you know back then we barely had the internet it wasn't like somewhere you can like look up we didn't have social media I think at that time we barely had I think friendster started and like I think myspace it was still myspace at that time so (laughs) you got to think about like that era of just like that was your social media was myspace
0: So (laughs) people talking about vintage like workwear on MySpace. No, not
2: at no, not (laughs) at all. So that's that's what I'm saying. Like there wasn't anywhere I can find this stuff. Like I didn't know anything about it.
0: People in the real world.
2: It was real people, real time, real world, and you know that's where I learned everything from is from people like the the older generation who's been doing it longer than I have. You know, Mm -hmm. that's where I learned everything and and saw everything for the first time was from them.
0: Before you even ended up at Inspiration or the Rose Bowl, like how did you know to even go to the Rose Bowl flea market to begin with and like bring things that uh, would sell? Like what was that process like of even, I don't know, stepping through that door and becoming a vintage seller at the level of the Rose Bowl?
2: Um. Actually, so I, I was friends, um, you know, for a long time in high school, junior high, like I, I spent a lot of time in thrift stores and I grew up in, I grew up in LA, but like not LA proper. I grew up outside of LA, like about an hour and a half from LA. So I was like in the, in the ie which is pretty far out and um there's a lot of really great yeah i grew up in i so there's a ton of thrift stores around and so after after school like after high school and stuff i would just like hit all the thrift stores and i just really loved it i always loved old stuff i think it comes from my my father like he was really into like antiques and like he kept all his clothing. So I used to steal his clothes all the time. So I think the love for older pieces and, and, and whatnot came from my father. But um, And so I would hit this one thrift store every day after school. And they were, had, I think, had the best mix of stuff. It wasn't just like your thrift store where you walk in, it's just like, a, a toaster oven and like you know baby clothes you know but it was like really curated it was the, the the couple that owned it they used to go to estate sales in beverly hills and just clean out estate sales and they would bring it all back into the shop and sell it so you would see like the weirdest coolest stuff in there and they had this like vintage clothing ses- section and i used to buy all my 60s 70s clothes from them and so i became really really good friends with them um and they told me they're the ones who told me about the Rose Bowl and they were like yeah you know there's a Rose Bowl would you be interested in selling for us and you can take a percentage and I said yeah sure why not you know I'm I'm like 20 you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. not even 20 I think I'm like 19 or something and um, I was like yeah let's do it and so I just you know just picked clothes that I liked. I didn't really know what would sell or what not sell, you know, at all. Like no idea. Just grab stuff that I liked that was cool uh, mm-hmm. to just me at shelves. the time. Yeah. Just off their shelves. And like, they used to have like another warehouse, just piles of clothes, like literally like 25 feet up, piled of clothes. And I would go in there and, dig through from top to bottom. And like, I could probably die in there because there's so much clothes, but like literally going through the piles of clothes and just like picking what I liked at that time. And I would just bring it with me to Rose Bowl. And so they would give me some rolling racks and I had a tent. And you know, actually, no, I didn't get a tent until later on. I had like a, an umbrella. <laughs> Just there in the
0: hot asphalt. Uh... Just
2: in the hot asphalt within, with literally like a beach umbrella. And I had like four racks out and like some blankets on the floor and set up clothes on the floor. And I was just like, here we go. <laughs> but, you know, I was really young and I had such a great time, like for my first day there and surprisingly sold a lot it was crazy. I was like, Oh, but I didn't know how to price anything. So I was like, $10, $5, a (laughs) dollar, like just like garage, you know, um, garage sale style. Like I didn't know prices either. I just like, whatever, $10, 15. I I used to think $20 was so much money, you know, for a garment. Um, So I I would never really charge anything. Like if I was to get anything for $20, I would be like the happiest kid ever.
0: Well, so, if only you could see yourself now.
2: <laughs> now I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> add, let's add a couple more zeros after that.
0: <laughs> uh, oh, who was buying at the Rose Bowl in like the late '90s, early 2000s? Because like, oh, these days it's sort of a you know chic place to go. That it's um, not uh, odd at all to like just have it be a thing to do on a Sunday. Um, to show up and wander around, but uh, back then was like when dudes were coming in with like briefcases full of cash from Japan.
2: Um, that was actually my first experience dealing with the Japanese buyers. Um, there was there there was actually um, quite a few. It wasn't a lot. Like now, I would say there's more, obviously. But back then, there was like there was. I I would see women, like a lot more women, and um, I would see um, just like a handful of just like the regular guys, like you would just see the same guys every month over and over again, Um, which actually it's funny, because I don't really see them now. I maybe I don't know if they're still in business, but um, I would see the same ones, but it wasn't as crazy as it is now. But back then, though, they would spend a lot more like I was selling any vintage t-shirt it doesn't matter what it is it was just like any vintage t-shirt for like fifty dollars and up it was crazy and they would just like buy it all so it it was it was good money for a lot of us for a while um just they would just spend ton of money because it was still kind of new and they were like oh my god we can get this stuff it's crazy it's cheap and for us it's like you're going to give me $50 for like a whatever vintage t-shirt. Cool. Thanks. You know? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like my first start of like really selling to um, like the Japanese buyers. And, and even back then it was like, it was just to dealer to dealer. I felt like I was just selling to other dealers and, you know, it it was open to the public obviously. And there was regular people coming in, but it wasn't as crowded as it is. I was now it was it wasn't as crowded for sure Mm -hmm. it was very chill um and really good stuff just everybody just brought their a-game it's just the coolest stuff I would see at the Rose Bowl back then um and that's where I learned most about everything I had really great neighbors we were the same neighbors for like a decade you know so it was just really fun um and learning from them as well. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Again, that person-to-person uh, knowledge base that you had to cultivate back then before the internet.
2: Oh yeah, and I and I still do that now. I, I I still don't really like look up anything on the internet unless I really have to, like on the spot sort of situation. But if I if I find something, I literally start texting my friends that I know would specialize in this genre or this whatever this military piece or this denim piece I would actually ask people I don't rely on the internet there's so much skewed information on there I'm not even sure if it's like right or not right you know <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah ourselves at Heddles included
2: <laughs> uh, I mean Heddles is great Heddles has uh, great references for sure Well, thank
0: you we try uh, but you know like not even we can get everything right all the time
2: yeah so I, I I'm really old school in that sense I think because I you know, started out old school and I kind of still rely on that, but I have adapted to the new school of things as well for my business and, and whatnot. I do keep going. I don't stick to the same, you know, routines.
0: Hmm. Now, yeah. as, as things developed at the Rose Bowl, uh, how did that evolve into your physical location at the the first Raggedy Threads? Or was like, Uh, did Raggedy Threads, like, was that the name of your booth at the bowl before it became the name of the store?
2: No, actually, it's funny. I didn't even really have a name for myself at Rose Bowl. Like now you go to Rose Bowl, everybody has their boutique names and this is his and this is this. But I didn't even have a name. Like I didn't even think about, that wasn't even a thing, to be honest. Um, I I didn't even have a business card, (laughs) like nothing. It's just like, you just knew them by their faces and by the stuff mm-hmm. they had you knew that this vendor had all the denim you knew that this vendor had like all the you know military surplus pieces or the mix of military surplus i mean it was just like you just knew them by their space basically there yeah I, you're
0: usually in the same like little section of the parking lot always uh, yep
2: always the same spot and that's where you find them. Like, and that's yeah. where you, you know them by their first name and that's about it. I don't know what business, like, I don't know the name of your company. I don't know the name of anything, you know? So I don't know. I still, I, I really miss that to be honest.
0: <laughs> yeah. The, the community sense that you get, uh, sort of exclusively in that network of, uh, of mm-hmm. dealers that are all in such close proximity.
2: Yeah, I really miss that a lot. I miss like I don't know your business. I never been to your business, but I know you and I know what you have and I you know, it I just miss that in a in a in a weird way. <laughs> oh. Like oh, there's no I, Oh go ahead. Oh no no go, go ahead. ahead. No no no, it's fine.
0: Oh, I was just gonna ask um how that sort of uh, became the physical location.
2: Oh, so after doing Rose Bowl forever <laughs> Um, I was working actually a a nine to five job um, that it was fun. I loved it. It was a really great job, but I hated it at the same time Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's corporate. Um, And um, it was just, and I was still actually going to school. So I was in school doing this part, doing, I was like full-time school at Cal State, And then I had a full-time nine to five, actually eight to five job. And I was doing Rose Bowl on, luckily Rose Bowl is only every second Sunday. So I didn't do the flea market every weekend. So like I would do the Rose Bowl every second Sunday. But in between, like literally my lunch breaks working this corporate job, I would go hit the thrift stores. That's what I did for my lunch breaks. I didn't really eat lunch. I went to hit all the thrift stores during lunchtime and then go back to my nine to five job. And work all day, <laughs> um, so it was fine. I mean, I was young, so you can you have energy, so it was it wasn't a big deal. Um, and then I couldn't do with the job anymore. I was like, I actually went to my mom. I was like, coming home crying every day, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. This job sucks. It's so political. Um, it's so chauvinistic. Um, I need to get out. She's like, just quit, finish school and don't worry about it. And I was like, all right, cool. So I quit and I did that. And then I was helping her out in her business. My, my parents had a business at the time. They still have the business actually. Um, so I was doing that and just trying to finish up college. And, um, I literally one day just, I woke up, I just woke up from this dream and I was like, I want to open a storefront. It, It was, that was it. That That's how I could explain how I opened the store is I woke up one day and decided to open the store. And I told this to my mom and she was, you know, my parents super supportive of me. What, what, whatever venture that I wanted to do, they were always super supportive of what I wanted to do. And I'm very, I'm very lucky in that sense. Um, so my mom actually had three storefronts um, where her business is. And um, she's like, why don't you just take half of one of my star friends and try it out, see how that goes. And um, just pay me some rent every month and, you know, and just do it, try it out. And I was like, Really? And she's like, Yeah, absolutely. So I did and got some friends together. We painted, we put up the racks together, and I was able to source inventory because inventory was easy because I've already been doing the Rose Bowl for so long. So I knew where to buy clothes. And I started doing buying clothes at Rose Bowl or buying clothes at the rag houses. Um, so it was mostly that, that's how I started sourcing was local, like rag houses and Rose Bowl. That's it.
0: Um, so, and, uh, yeah. like how much stock does it take to open a store or I guess to o- it depends on how the size of the store. I but- guess
2: it really depends on the size of the store and how full you want to make it or how not full you want to make it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I can't answer that question. It really depends on. Mm -hmm. what you want to have for your store. You want to have a really packed store with a little bit of everything with everything, or you just want it shoppable, like kind of like what I have now. I don't like a packed store. I like everything really clean and shoppable. You can move stuff around. Everything's not so packed together in a rack. Mm -hmm. So
0: you're not going to have a whole pile of clothes fall on you to try to pull something out of a stack. mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I, I, I don't like that at all.
0: (laughs) Oh. Oh, yeah. And I I imagine things went well with that that first store. Oh, yeah. um, Um, And was it in that same location um, that you've got now, the one in Little Tokyo in downtown LA?
2: No, no, no. I've moved three times. So I was in that spot, um, the first spot, for about three years. And it was great because I was in, like, a college town. So, I you know, I didn't have... Like I said, it was like pre really any social media. So I actually did mailers, if you can believe. I actually mm-hmm. like got mailing lists and printed out postcards and mailed postcards to people. But I mean, and it was funny when I did that because I would every every few weeks, I would like get some returned and I would feel really sad about that. But that was the only way. And it was like completely, I still, I think the best advertisement word of mouth absolutely it was all word of mouth and all the first year was like just me I was there every day just like doing whatever um and and then just people just started coming just driving by seeing my sign stopping in and it just became really good after the first year I was like okay cool and it just kept going and going and then um and then a few years later, um, I had a friend in downtown in the arts district and he was like, Hey, and he wholesaled vintage. He was a Japanese guy, a Japanese dealer, and he would wholesale to Japan. Um, and he had a huge space in the arts district and, um, and he built out a storefront in front of the warehouse, a really beautiful, um, floor to ceiling glass windows. It was like a huge spot, probably about 2000 square feet, two stories. It was like a loft space on top, a spiral iron staircase that goes up. It was a beautiful, beautiful space, but he couldn't, he didn't have time to run a storefront plus do his wholesale business. So he actually asked me if I want to take over the storefront space. And you know, it was a lot of money at that time, and I wasn't sure if I can handle it. But I was like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just do it. Like, why not? I need to get out of this city. The city sucks. I need to expand my business. So I felt like downtown was still like up and coming. It was like, um, and this was like two thousand and five, two thousand six. Oh yes, this so- was
0: right when downtown was uh, changing over
2: slowly it was like getting there and arts district obviously at that time was not how arts district is now (laughs) so um so it was it was cool and i was like yeah let's do it so i moved my business to downtown la and i think because of that that was the best move i could ever do because that's where my business started to flourish and get better um, and, and that's, it, it literally, and that's where I kind of, I, I changed, I, I kind of matured to the next level, you know what I mean? Like, okay, I was like, this is what I need to start bringing in to, um, to sell because the client base was different. It was completely different. It was more LA, more Hollywood, a lot more celebrities, a lot like that. I started doing rentals, studio polls, a lot of film industry. So it was like a whole nother cast of characters that I had to adapt to and to understand. So um, it, it was cool. And that's where, that's kind of where I, you know, from there on, um, the recession hit like I think 2008 or something. And, um, everybody just kind of like had no money and I couldn't afford the space anymore. My, my friend that had half the space, he was leaving. So I couldn't afford the whole thing by myself. And, um, um, then literally I I found a space in little Tokyo and then I moved to little Tokyo, which is again, saved my business (laughs) again. (laughs) And now I'm still in little Tokyo and I'm still there to this day. It's been like, what, almost 12 years in that spot.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah it's the only location that I've I've known but yeah being in downtown at that point must have been really interesting like from then on is you know little tokyo is still pretty much downtown um yeah, but yeah were there other um vintage stores that were doing the same sort of high end workwear at that point is like I tend to think of the LA vintage scene is like stereotypically on melrose and uh downtown that's- is more like the a garment district
2: yeah i mean it Um, still kind of is like i mean if you're talking about like more of what i do all of it's in west hollywood mm -hmm. for sure um there's i may i might be even trying to think right now if there's any other there's no vintage stores like mine for sure in my area um but You know, there, there is a lot in West Hollywood, like, you know, Mr. Freedom, um, you know, actually, he's probably the only one left in that area. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's just less and less of true, true vintage. Now, Mm -hmm. it's all different. It's all a lot of 90s. It's
0: sort of mixed into like a Buffalo Exchange type uh look is thinking of like wasteland and
2: yeah wastelands um, is still there slow uh, and all the all the melrose stores all the cool vintage stores that used to be on melrose are no longer there i just remember like in the you know even in the 90s like in high like high school um going down there was like the place to go vintage shopping was on melrose um now there's nothing i think yeah wastelands is still even wastelands it's like more designer Mm -hmm. designer vintage now it's not so much like you can find like a levi's type one jacket or anything in there so
0: clothes Uh, yeah the last time i was in there was maybe three years ago
2: Hmm. Um, i haven't i haven't been there in like forever So, um, but yeah
0: um, yeah, in the midst of all of the moving around in L.A., you also opened the current store you're in in New York, which, um, yeah, I imagine that was quite difficult because it's a thing of uh, opening a another vintage store. It's not like you can just sort of have the same stock at both places. Um, yeah, what was the motivation and sort of the thought process of opening a vintage store across – or another store across the country is like, I can't really think of any other vintage store that has like multiple spread out locations.
2: Um, well, this was purely by luck. Complete. I wasn't even really looking. I Actually, no, that's not true. Like before Sandy, I don't remember what year that was here in New York. I wasn't here at the time. Like I did.
0: 13 2000- or 14, I think.
2: 2013 or something. Yeah. I did entertain the idea of opening a store in New York back. This is like weeks, actually a month or something before even Sandy hit. Um, and so I did come out here for a month to like, see if I would like another storefront here. I don't know what possessed me. I, I don't even remember anymore, like to come out here, but I just came out here just cause I just had a good feeling. And I just was like, yeah, why not? Let's check it out. So I did, um, I did find an amazing spot in East Village at that time. And I really loved it. It was like, a beautiful, beautiful spot. And I almost signed a lease, but I was like, well, let me, let me go home and uh, and crunch some numbers and see if this is even doable. Like, how, how am I even gonna do this? This is crazy. Like, I don't have partners in this business. I'm like a one woman show, you know, so it's, it was like a lot to think about. And financially, it was like, a lot more money than what I was paying in LA. So I was like, okay, let me, let me wait. So I went home and um, went through the numbers and then Sandy hit. So it was kind of great that I didn't sign a lease because that place got completely like flooded. So, (laughs) so, but anyways, yeah, it would have been like a nightmare. So some, I'm really glad I waited, but so I, after that, I just never really entertained the idea. I just kind of like, you know what, I'm just going to focus on, The store now and grow this business and and then and then instagram started and then everything just started getting like wild and great and just even better and then and then um i think like yeah four years ago i get a call around christmas um and it was uh my friend that had this space i'm in now and he was thinking about um leaving like moving to pittsburgh and so I was like, okay, I actually have never seen this space before. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to come out. So I booked a flight, like I waited until like after New Year's and I booked a flight right after New Year's and I came out like in the beginning of January. Um, so cold. <laughs> and I came out and we met up and I came to the spot and I looked and I, I literally walked in and I said, yes, let's do this. So we, uh, that same, literally this week, the weekend I met the landlord, I signed the lease and just started getting the process, like the, the, you know, everything going. Um, So that was it. It it was really like, I I didn't even, it was literally a a silver planter handed to me and I couldn't say no. That was, that was the whole motivation and opening here. Otherwise I I probably wouldn't have done it.
0: (laughs) Maybe the only person that I've ever heard of that fell in love with New York in January, especially coming from LA.
2: because oh, we don't have winters. Come on.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like when I lived in LA, it was just like, oh, it's just darker outside and now it's 70 instead of eighty. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, I lived in L- you know, I lived in LA my whole life. So we don't know what seasons are. I didn't know what's snow, what, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So it was cool. And so, yeah, after that, it was just everything just kind of literally just fell into place. And and I'm super grateful for that. And that's why I'm here, you know. And, and I love it here now. I, I didn't like it at first. It was really hard to acclimate to this weather and to the people and what to sell and everything. The whole city, you know, the whole city has, like, such a different vibe and energy than L.A. So, It was like, it took me a a full year to really like get used to this city. Um, But yeah, now I'm happy and it's good. And I would love to continue to do business here um, as long as I can, (laughs) you know. Mm
0: -hmm. How do you you manage two stores like that um, with so far away from each other, especially doing buys where it's so, I guess, particular about what unique items are in each place?
2: Um, actually, I, you know, I actually put myself on a pretty good schedule, um, of when to come back and when not to come back and when I need to be in LA. And so I was rotating like every other month or every two months, um, just to spend time in one location to get to know my clients, to get to know, like, make sure everything's good. But honestly, I, I would not be able to run both locations if I didn't have amazing staff. Like I'm very grateful for my staff. My staff is like family to me. They're absolutely wonderful. Um, but I, I wouldn't have done it without having a solid team, you know, that's so, so, so important. Um, so because I'm running around back and forth and in between stopping in the Midwest to pick. So it's, 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 it's rough. Uh, it's, uh, it's busy, but um, it also helps, too, because I also do um, a show, uh, a vintage show, Current Affair, and, um, you know, they have shows in New York and in L.A., so I can kind of plan around my, my trips back home or back to New York around the show as well. So that makes it a lot easier to pre-plan what months I need to be in New York. And usually I try to come to New York on the good months, you know, spring, fall, <laughs> you know, and then yeah, spend L.A. Yeah, not January, LA, you know, February, LA, you know, and and also February is inspiration in February. So I'm always in LA because I have to be around there. So, um, so it, it, it works out like all the months work out to us. Sp- and there, there's some down months, like August and whatnot. Like, where should I be in August? Uh, maybe should I be in, hang out in Long Island by the Hamptons and beach for that month? Or should I stay in LA? It's like, there are a few months where I, I can't decide. So what I, what I told myself, I gave myself, I was like, I'll do every other year. Like I'll spend Christmas in New York every other year. I'll spend New Year's here every other year. I'll spend Thanksgiving here every other year just to like, see what it's like. And, um, I mean, it's, you know, like I said, I'm really grateful. I have the options of both coasts to like run to. Um, so it really depends on, I guess, my mood. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And you mentioned picking in the Midwest. So are you driving back and forth like each time and picking up stuff along the way?
2: Uh, no, no, I just, I don't have the energy to be driving cross country constantly. It's, I don't know if you ever done it, but it's very, very exhausting. It's so oh. exhausting and it's, um, you're just living in a hotel or in your car or it's a mm-hmm. friend's house and just constantly on the road. It's, and, and most of the time it's beautiful. the roads are the countryside is so pretty, the farms and and whatnot. but then you get to like it could start becoming really monotonous and boring, and you start it's just nothing like miles and miles of nothing. So um I just I can't do that anymore. I'll do it like once a year maybe with a friend. Um, just 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 because I'm with a friend and you know it's fun. but now I just kind of fly to a designated state, say I I fly to the Midwest and I I already, I have all my appointments lined up with all my dealers lined up. So um, it's really hard to freestyle. Now. I usually try to go if it's a sure thing, if they have stuff saved for me, then I will go. So I usually line up all my appointments and hit all of them at once. Um, I fly out, rent a car. I drive, I'll drive Actually, I, I try to drive. I, I can hit a couple states. It's not, you know, once you hit the Midwest, it's really easy to go to different states, you know. Mm. Um, and so I just drive to different states, spend like a week or two, ship everything back, and you know, get on a plane and go home. You know, that's it. Mm-hmm. And no, you like- don't waste any time that way. Like I, I, I can't be wasting my time. I'm not wasting time, but I can't be on the road. You know, six months out of the year, you know, it's, I have to run two businesses. So,
0: yeah. so like freestyle that you mentioned, that's like you know, you're going to the bins, you're going to estate sales, you're going to thrift stores, and you're um, just out there like, uh, you know, panning for gold, more or less. Whereas I mean, like,
2: pretty vintage,
0: much, yeah, having appointments is like you know your dealers, you know they're going to have good stuff, and uh, you know you can get the quantity that you need to supply your stores. Uh, exactly uh, just like trying to strike it and get lucky maybe you're not
2: yeah i mean i have done that before i have just like sometimes we'll like hit a antique store or something and find something incredible like uh, in that sense but you know i don't do bins i i rarely do estate sales i usually pick from the people who do do the estate sales so they kind of do all the the legwork for me already um so I, I, I don't thrift anymore. I, God, I haven't been to a thrift store in like 20 years probably. Um, so I don't do that because um, unless I'm really, really like bored or desperate. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I just try to like keep for stuff that I know for sure that I'm going to score. Not, not score, but stuff I know for sure I can get and it's like stuff I need and just be done with it. You know, I think back then... Um, I would say I was more into like the thrifting and the bins and like the, the yeah, rag the houses, hunt. the hunt, but, you know, I've been doing this for like 20 some years. So it's like, it kind of, I, I feel I still love the hunt. I still love finding stuff, but I'm not as excited about it as I used to be. You know, some people live and die to be on the road. And for me, I live and die to be in my store. And to curate what I have and to talk to my customers. Like, that's what I live and die for now, you know? Just like the presentation of it, not so much like being on the road and picking. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like not my favorite thing to do anymore. So, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> there's only so many Cracker Barrels you can eat at before <laughs> it God, sort of I loses I love it Cracker
2: still. Barrel. Oh my God, I love Cracker Barrel. <laughs> yeah. Those, Those are my saving grace.
0: <laughs> yeah, you mentioning oh. like being on the road. That's uh, it's been yeah about a year and a half since my last road trip across country, and I'm starting to like romanticize it again in my head <laughs> before I go through it again and be like, "Yep, two weeks is enough. I'm I'm ready to be back uh, sleeping in a bed."
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, now, since we've been on COVID and lockdown, put me on the road. Give, Get me yeah. out of here, like, for <laughs> sure. I don't even want to be in the store anymore. Just, like, I want to be out and driving across country. Like, I almost entertain the notion of me driving back to L.A. because I'm like, I just want to be on the road. But, um, I, I no, I'm not. I'm flying, actually. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, oh. that's definitely a, a thing. It's it, it is very exhausting on on you know, to do all that one set. So I do. I, I love being in the store. That's like my most favorite thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And you talk about um, curating your clientele there. So are you buying stuff specifically for like regular clients that you uh, know might like it? Or are you picking stuff like specific to trend or like what is the motivation that goes into your buys?
2: Mm-hmm. And what you
0: decide to put in the store.
2: I really mm-hmm. don't have any motivation. I just like buy what I like and I just I just happen people like it too. So yeah. <laughs> it really and I mean people That's ask the best me for way to do it. Yeah. I mean like if you don't like it, don't go shop with me, you know? Like, you know, I I I'm happy, I'm really happy that you like what I like. Cool. We can be friends now, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um yeah, but I mean, I do have requests for certain things, and sometimes I, I'll look out for it, and if I find it, I, I let them know. So it's it's not like I, you know, I have a list of people that have stuff that they always look for, and I always look out for it. But it's stuff that we all want, you know? So it's like yeah. grail pieces. So it's like, okay, of course you want you know that blue deck jacket of course because everybody else wants that blue deck jacket so (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and they want it
0: in the size 40 in perfect
2: condition in perfect condition yeah exactly and they they don't want the zipper one they want the one with the 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 hooks you know so it's
0: (laughs) of course yeah what uh, uh else are people looking for right now like is there um anything that is like I feel like the, the, um, souvenir jackets have sort of had their, um, peak moment and now that's fading away. And like, what do you see people are more, uh, requesting, uh, right now, or I guess anything, um,
2: um, honestly, no idea. I, I can't even tell you what the trend is right now as of today. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's just like what, what normally does well, like. I mean, sweatshirts, I mean, man, that sweatshirt, now the sweatshirt cult is insane, um, of how expensive a hoodie is these days, especially a good sun-faded red hoodie, how much that goes for now. Um, so.
0: What era of hoodie are these, like, you know, cross-grain champions or, uh.
2: I mean, you're, I mean, yeah, if you, no, no, not, not reverse weave, nothing 90s, like the earlier stuff, like the pre-60s sweatshirts are always like, that has definitely has become a big, big, big market. Um And also like hard for me to find now. Um, like you said, with the, with the Skajans, with the souvenir jackets, like they for sure had a peak, man, I was getting thousands of dollars for those and now i'm like can you just try to if i could luckily could even get it for like 400 bucks you know (laughs) so um i don't know things come up and down it really depends on fashion and trend too on what's on the runway as well i feel like has a lot to do with that um what's on what major designer is um finding their vintage influence on the runway is what people are all of a sudden want to demand for in the original uh, for an original piece um that also like causes the trend to go up and the price to go up in a lot of things as well i i feel like that's what i've noticed for sure um what is yeah. it um what was that jacket um i think it was like m81s or something those bomber jackets or something oh yeah the
0: ma1s yeah the
2: ma1s orange, the M- uh, the orange remember when those all of a sudden became so popular and so expensive yep. and it, it's because it was on like a yeezy collection or Stuff, mm-hmm. or or, or Mont, Mont did one. It was yeah, just and like some
0: did one. And... Yeah.
2: All these major, all these big designers started making them. And so that's why like all of a sudden I had this huge influx of like MA one sales, you know, yeah. I, I feel like that has a, a big part of it as well. Um, I wouldn't say the whole thing, but a, a big part of values as well um, for, for as far as in a design aspect. Um. Mm.
0: Yeah, I remember that cuz I was able to buy a CWU 45P for like 25 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> there's no one buying those when they're all yep. buying MA1s.
2: Exactly. <laughs>
0: um but in terms of things that uh you are really excited about and you specifically are looking for. I know that you uh have a minor obsession with Buddy Lee dolls.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> and uh, could you, I guess, talk a little bit about where that developed from, and how many you have, and sort of like there's a bunch of different kinds of Buddy Lee, right? That, oh, um, yeah. like, this is the little, um, I know they're like maybe a foot tall, um, like doll that uh, Lee put out of just this like little cherubic guy wearing a pair of overalls.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they uh, they came out the Buddy Lee dolls. The so Lee came out like what in the 20s. Um, mm-hmm in the twenties and it was like just, you know, used for advertisements and samples and, you know, every, every, every major denim company had their own mascot. Um, so, you know, they started out as composite dolls, um, in the twenties and thirties and they were all made out of composite. And then in the fifties they, you know, that's kind of where Lee riders took off. Like that's where all the Western, Um, in the fifties and they came out with a plastic version of the Buddy Lee doll um, and all wearing like cowboy hats, all rodeo flannel shirts. um. And um, then in the eighties, I believe eighties, nineties, they brought the Buddy Lee back and they made them out of resin. So they were like a heavy resin Base and they used it completely for commercials, advertisements. I don't know if you remember the Buddy Lee, like the Lee commercials with the Buddy Lee dolls. Yeah, I remember the they rebooted and it. And they
0: tried to make him like extreme and like yeah. and, like skateboarding and stuff. Yeah, it was,
2: yeah. <laughs> it was
0: very strange in a uniquely nineties way that I thought was quite funny.
2: Oh, I, I think love was those quite funny commercials. now. Like when I was Every, a kid, I everyone, didn't, like, didn't yeah, get it. Yeah, everyone listening, go Google a Buddy, like a Lee commercial in the 80s it's the most amazing commercial ever. Yeah, I'll,
0: I'll link one of those in the description this goes live
2: <laughs> but I I don't know I, I I don't know there's something really like happy and and great about him and and it's just there's no other denim companies that really did anything like that um that I can think of I know Levi's came out with the denim rag dolls in the 60s 70s and those were really cool but never really was popular um but yeah no other company really made something like that and I think that's the whole draw to them and every time I find them they're they're always busted they're just like broken and destroyed or just weird looking they're all like they're all made the same, but they're all so different at the same time. And I, and for me, like, I feel like that's just how he, us as a human race are. We're all a little bit different. We're not perfect. We're all like just weird and cool. And, you know, <laughs> we,
0: all so that's, <laughs> we
2: all have our own scars. We all have our own stories. Like, um, and that's kind of like why I really love them so much. Um, I kind of, I don't even know how many I have now. I want to say I'm up to like almost 60 of them, I think. Mm -hmm. I think I have about 60 of them, give or take. I did lose.
0: Different years, because there's obviously different eras and how they dress them, or is it a thing of like you're trying to collect all the Buddy Lee dolls of every specific vintage or just like, you know, the unique and uh, characterful ones based on how like someone played with it or transported it or busted it up?
2: I mean, at this point, I'll take any of them, <laughs> yeah. just because they're so hard to get. Um, they're pretty popular now, um, but before, I would just find them on the road, or people would give them to me, or you know, or dealers would find them for me. I was just, just random, completely random. Um, mm-hmm. But they all had different outfits. They didn't all have the same outfits. They all had completely different outfits. Like, you know, they started off with the the ones in the overalls and the chambray shirt, and then the Lee cap, the um, engineer cap and they had that suit and they had one that's salt and pepper and then they had coveralls, like um like a tan coverall, the union all they did a union all one which those are super rare to find like i'm 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 happy i have like two of those but the union all ones are definitely like a grail one for me um and they the came out with it um the union all it's it's the the whole suit yeah um,
0: oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of the, uh, the just overall that had like the little neckerchief and the flat cap on the top.
2: No, the union all came out before that. Cause the union all came out in 1913. Wow. Yeah. 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 yeah so union that's all, so right, with, right. I don't think that's one when,
0: that I've, I've seen. <laughs> yeah.
2: I have actually have one of those. It's really, he's, he's actually in really good shape The for, how old it is like literally that union i mean the union alls like i said they came out in the 13th but the buddy lee doll didn't come out until like you know um probably in the 20s so much later maybe like 10 years later but it's cool to find those and they also did a gas station one so you see like conical buddy lee ones and and pepsi cola ones those are really hard to find um (coughs) (laughs) <laughs> excuse me um and there's like sports ones like the football ones with the football helmets and there was a bathing suit one like w- one wearing like um an old bathing suit like a full one-piece bathing suit I actually have one of those too um so it's cool like there's different outfits there's there was like a, a few of them not the traditional with the flannel shirts and the in the jeans or the the bibs um they, they did did like weird off ones like for other advertising purposes for, you know, general store display windows. That was where they were displayed the most with like general store from a small town in Kansas or something had a general store and they would put the Buddy Lee dolls in the windows as window displays. Um, That's what they were used for at the time. And also to advertise that, okay, you know, we sell, you know, clothing and groceries. Cause you know, if you know the history of HD Lee, he started out as a grocer. Like he, Delivered groceries to people, so you would see advertisements from um, um, cans and jars with HD Lee on them. Um, this is way before he started doing clothing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, dry goods. In addition to dry the, goods,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: to the groceries. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I guess if you're listening out there and you've got a Buddy Lee doll, you've got a uh, prospective buyer on the hook here in Jamie. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. <laughs> oh,, oh uh, what have you got uh, in the shop right now? Are there anything that uh, you're interested in, I guess, plugging or uh, promoting uh, in terms of raggedy threads or just uh, trying to get people into the store?
2: I mean, at this point i'm 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 just like, you know, I just want everybody to be healthy and safe. Um, but I, I, you know, the New York store is open right now, like um, mm-hmm. for our July hours, maybe possibly August, uh, Wednesday to Saturday, twelve to five, and we also, you know, we also do in-store alterations and repairs here. So people have been bringing their stuff in. Um, the LA store, it's still TBD because um, um, since the numbers are rising so much, and I will be back in LA this week to assess when to start the reopening process. So um for now it's this appointment only and closed but email definitely i've been posting so much online and um so more than i ever have ever so if you just feel the need to like buy something you can just go on our website threads.com. yeah
0: yeah so. what's it been like uh, i guess translating vintage to online because it's not like you know with a uh, new ready-to-wear store that you can just, you know, post one picture of one shirt and then you can sell like a hundred of them. Whereas in vintage, it's this is the one shirt and you have to take a picture of it and all of its unique characteristics. Yep.
2: Pretty much. Um, it's very detailed. Very, yeah. very detailed and very detailed on measurements. So mm. that's, 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 it's more work to put into one piece than just to put this is the one um whatever pima cotton tea and there's a thousand of them in but this is the size range that's it but we don't have that here it's just one piece and that's it it's gone it's gone which i don't mind i i like that it gets people like excited and be like okay i have to to make a decision now and buy it or it's going to be gone
0: so Yeah. (laughs) yeah and it probably motivates people to check in a bit more frequently than you know once every season
2: yeah. Yeah. I'm not an online shopper and especially for vintage, it's really hard because I like to touch and feel and smell and try because every piece is, you know, fits differently for, you know, cause it's probably been washed a hundred times. So the fit's mm-hmm. different. So I like to, you know, see things upfront and personal, but you know, it's, it's nice that, you know, people who love vintage and know vintage, they know their sizes already. They know what, how it kind of looks like, on them so it's not that hard to sell online so i mean online for vintage is actually like pretty big now <laughs> all right well
0: thanks so much for your time jamie um Absolutely. yeah you can visit her at uh, raggedy threads on grand in uh brooklyn
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um yeah, what's the address of the one in la
2: um it's in little tokyo little tokyo yeah cool. in downtown la
0: All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and uh, safe travels back to L.A.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That's our show for this week. Thank you for sticking around. And thank you to James for coming on and talking about his journey in veganism and what that's like, trying to buy clothes that uh, might have animal products in them. And big thank you to Jamie for talking about her work with Raggedy Threads. You can find uh, both the addresses to her locations as well as a link to her web shop in the description below. Uh, Want to give another plug to the Heddle's shop uh, if you can visit there and see our uh, new selection of Grant Stones wallets and belts and a couple new uh, footwear styles. Uh, you can get a ten percent discount there with the code Blowout. B l o w o u t. And that's at shop.heddles.com. Another link there in the description. Uh, We're going to leave you this week with a industrial outro recording from Winter Session, which is one that I actually recorded about three years ago for another episode that we didn't end up using. But uh, this is what it sounded like inside the Winter Session workshop uh, about three years ago in 2017. Oh, this is also a teaser for next week's episode, because we're going to be talking about something a little bit different, a project that I am intimately involved in with Winter Session, Cover Up Colorado, our mask making uh, donation project that we've been doing here for like the last three months since the end of March. So learn all about that next week. And until then, stay safe, wear a mask, drink more water, and Black Lives Matter. Thank uh-huh. you.